Welcome to the Half Mind Solar Podcast, providing off-grid solutions for an on-grid world. Our goal is to give you ideas and information that you can utilize in your own life to increase your self-sufficiency and independence. This is Sean Mills, and today we're going to talk about the status of the solar industry in the United States. Now, since we've exited the Paris Accord, there has been a lot of talk and consternation about how is this going to affect the solar industry moving forward? How is this going to affect solar companies and solar jobs and things like this? And I think um, the overall and overarching message you're going to hear today is that it's not going to affect the industry. The industry costs are going uh, lower and lower. That is driving demand. There are absolutely tax incentives that, that are helping to drive demand, both at the federal and at the state and even at the utility level. And as long as those remain in place, there's going to be demand even in states where electricity is cheap. And in states where electricity is not cheap, there is going to be massive demand as these costs continue to drop just due to new technologies, increased efficiencies, and economies of scale. The other thing that you're seeing is you're seeing public uh, demand for renewable energy as part of the utility company's generation portfolio. I live in Tennessee where the TVA or Tennessee Valley Authority generates the majority of the electricity that's sold in my state and they plan to have 2,000 megawatts worth of renewable energy as part of their generation portfolio in the next five years. Now when you consider that in their distribution network, there isn't a lot of new demand that they have to meet, that's a huge number. They are actively, have already or are planned on taking 33 out of their 59 coal-fired plants out of service. And the majority of the generation that needs to be replaced to meet current demand is going to come from renewables and primarily through utility scale solar. You look at Duke Energy, who is the largest power company, the largest utility for power in the United States, and they plan on having 6,000 megawatts of renewables, again, primarily solar, by 2020. That's three years from now. You're talking about, you know, four to five full-size operational coal-fired boilers uh, being replaced by renewable energy, specifically solar energy. And with the home-scale renewable energy market really taking off specifically with solar, but 
there is still a lot of people that are putting in wind turbines and to a much lesser extent but still happening you're seeing people put micro hydro systems in and as all of these different technologies mature and primarily as the battery technology matures you're going to see an even bigger explosion in the amount of demand for home scale and then even utility scale solar installations in the United States. Grid defection is something that all of the major utilities know is coming. They know people are going to go off grid. They know there's people that might stay on grid but generate more electricity than they use. And so therefore, not only do they have to find a way to accept that excess electricity onto the grid during the daytime when it's being generated, but they also have to meet the demands of those same homes once the generation versus usage meters flip and they're taking more than they're producing until the next day when it flips back the other way. So people are putting in rooftop systems that are generating more electricity than they need for over the course of a day in five hours, maybe six hours. So the utilities understand not only are we going to have people falling off of the grid, but we're going to have people that are going to be putting an excess of energy onto the grid during the day, which is when peak usage is, so that's good. But then at night, particularly in the winter when you've got shorter days, now you've got to be able to respond to those needs. And I think that's where natural gas is really very well suited for this transformation of the energy system because a natural gas peaker plant can come on when it's needed, run until it's no longer needed, and then turn off, and it's not going to have the problems that a coal-fired plant would do or would have if you did the same thing. A coal-fired plant is made to run hot, heavy, hard, and long. It's supposed to run for 12 to 18 months in between servicings. You turn that thing on on a Saturday and turn it off on a Monday and then turn it back on on Wednesday, by Friday you probably have tube leaks. Tube leaks. Because the steel tubes inside of these things that the water sits in that is heated by the coal explosion, um, it's not made to expand, contract, expand, contract, expand, contract. It's just not made to work that way. The water feed pumps and things like that that feed and maintain the pressure in these big coal-fired boilers, they're just not main, meant to run that way. But a natural gas plant, it can run that way just fine. Especially now when you've got these multi-plant systems where the natural gas comes on and it burns and turns a turbine and the heat then create steam which turns a different turbine and then that heat is recovered and used to preheat the next batch of steam and the CO2 is captured uh, you know which leads to less emissions and the ability to utilize that CO2 in other applications 
So that technology exists right now. Those plants exist right now. And they're very well suited to kick on in the evenings or on weekends and run until they're no longer needed. Now, right now, because those are tuck-ins into a utility system that's really built to run hard, fast, deep, and strong, and long with nuclear and coal, it costs a lot per megawatt to generate. But as the cost of a billion cubic feet of natural gas has dropped so much, and the infrastructure for moving it around has gotten a lot more mature, and the technology for how to utilize not only the gas, but the residual heat and things like that, all of those technologies put together mean this whole storage issue really isn't as big as they would like you to believe. The reality is is that there is a storage issue, but I can tell you one of the things that they do in Tennessee is they'll dig a lake in at the top of a mountain and they will pump water up to it when they have excess power on the grid. And when they need more power than they have, they'll open the gates and that water will rush down hundreds of feet and it will turn turbines and go right back into the initial water source, which is the Tennessee River, that it came from. So there's an there's an opportunity right there. Th- those type of pump storage stations could go in and they could be utilized to offset the difference between peak generation and peak use. Like I said, these peaker plants are absolutely a way that you could meet that demand without as big of a problem. They've got new flywheel technology where they spin up these flywheels when they have excess electricity and then those flywheels create electricity when it's needed. And then of course you've got battery technology and battery technology is still the weakest link. It's getting better. People are working on it. Is lithium the answer? Probably. Can it be sustainably removed from the earth? I don't think so. But that's a different conversation. As this technology continues to get bigger and better, you're going to see companies like Tesla and SolarCity will continue to bring online power pack stations similar to the one that went online earlier this year. It's an 80 megawatt hour battery bank in Southern California that Southern Cal Edison is using to store energy during off-peak hours and then deliver that energy where it's needed during on-peak hours so that they don't have to use peaker plants. So, you know, that's being tested out right now. And as the demand grows for that type of solution, the technology will get better. I think one of the biggest problems that we're probably going to run into as part of our new presidential administration is the lack of federal funding for research and development around this type of technology. And I think we at one point led the world in this type of innovation. China has has far surpassed our manufacturing capabilities 
and now they're on the verge of catching up to us and passing us on the R&D side. They actually have, earlier this year, developed a solar cell that is close to 40% efficient. So now China holds the record for developing the most efficient solar cell in existence. And they are pumping billions of dollars into R&D because they don't just want to take our designs or designs from Germany and manufacture them cheaply in China. They want to develop their own. They want to be the world leader in this type of technology. And as we roll back, I believe the new budget plan that's put forth is rolling back R&D in this type of renewable energy by 70%. As we roll back and spend more money on other things, we're going to be surpassed. And I think that's where you see a lot of these politicians talking about our leadership role in this type of uh, renewable energy climate, you know, uh, not necessarily talking about climate change or global warming or cooling or whichever it is that we're talking about today. I don't want to get into that, but I, I want to get into the fact that we're going to run out of coal. We're going to run out of natural gas. There's ways to continue to develop these solar systems, these wind-powered systems, these wave-powered systems, and we can be the leader there, and we should be the leader there. But it's going to take companies like Tesla and SolarCity. And, and hey, let's be clear. Those guys are using sol uh, rather federal funds to fund a lot of this R&D and, and tax rebates from municipalities to fund a lot of the construction costs for these plants. My hope is that they do the things they say they're going to do because... We don't want a re repeat of Solyndra. Look, Solyndra had a good idea. They were scaling up. They may have misrepresented some of their financial numbers in order to get a federally backed loan for further expansion. But they didn't go out of business because they got a big loan from the government that they never should have gotten. They went out of business because they built a plant in California that should have been built probably somewhere in the southeast where labor was much cheaper. They could have kept their R&D in California if they felt like they needed access to the type of people that were out there, but they didn't. But if they felt that way, they could have kept it there. They didn't have to Californiaize the plant with spas and all this other yuppie crap that was unnecessary, but they did. The other thing that happened is from the time they started trying to expand until the time they actually went bankrupt, the price of the competing product or silicon dropped by 60%. And not only did the feedstock price drop, but China said, let's just keep pumping these bad boys out. Companies, you do what the state tells you to do and the state's telling you to create solar panels like nobody's business. Don't worry about the fact that you can't sell them. So this was great for the industry because the price of everything just plummeted. You know, the past seven years or eight years or nine years, the, the cost of a solar panel has just absolutely, 
I mean, it's down by something like 75, 80, 85 percent in some instances per watt. And then you had this other competing um, product that Solyndra was trying to create that used different feedstock, a different type of implementation. It wasn't a bad idea. They just got out-competed. And when you get out-competed on cost and on production capability with an unproven technology, and then you spent a bunch of money on dumb crap that you didn't need because you were in California and you felt like you deserved it, well, then you go bankrupt. But that wasn't because they, made, they, they, they just got a bunch of money that they didn't deserve. They had a good idea. It just didn't pan out. And my concern is that if Tesla and or SolarCity, which are both Elon Musk companies now, if they don't do some of the things that their marketing is claiming they're going to try to do with all of the subsidies that they're getting, we could see the same type of news stories. You know, you never heard about how China was just making container load after container load of solar panel with no market to sell it to. You didn't hear that. You just heard, oh, $535 million uh, federally backed loan to a company that just uh, went bankrupt. So that's kind of where I think the, the industry is. We're, we're, leaving, we're leading right now in terms of intellectual property. We're getting passed up. We're getting a lot more money from other companies into R&D. But pulling out of the Paris Accord isn't going to stop this flow that's already begun. These large-scale utilities are going renewable. Out in the energy sector, other than oil, which that includes exploration, drilling, extraction, pipeline work, refining, distribution, everything. Other than oil, solar had more jobs last year than any other sector of energy in the United States, that you're not going to stem that flow. The, the demand is there. The companies have already decided that they're going to utilize this resource. The efficiencies are going up. The storage issues are being solved. The ones that aren't are being bridged with things like natural gas peaker plants. And this is something that you know, not a lot of people are talking about. Coal's not coming back because there's a problem with coal specifically, coal's not coming back because all of these coal plants that were built in the 70s and 80s are reaching the end of their life cycle. They're getting to be too expensive to run. They're falling apart. The maintenance costs for on these things are getting to the point where companies are having a hard time making money in the coal power generation business. TBA isn't taking 33 out of 59 plants offline because they just think it's the right thing to do, they're doing it because it's the financially right thing to do. And even though their area isn't increasing in demand capacity, they still have to be able to replace at least a portion of those 33 plants operating capacities. And renewable is the way to go. Are they building some coal or some natural gas plants here and there? Yep. Several of them are already online. They've got one in Memphis that's coming online later this year, I believe. But renewable is 
the fastest payback. Even though it costs a little bit more per watt, they can charge more for it. So anyways, I just wanted to share with you guys kind of my thoughts on the state of the industry, uh, where we're going, what, if any, effect this Paris deal is going to have. And again, I think it's primarily focused on the R&D side that you're going to have some potential issues. And that's really all I have for today. So thanks for joining me. If you've got any questions, feel free to email them to me at sean at hackmysolar.com. Leave comments on the blog at hackmysolar.com slash blog. Visit our Facebook page. Ask us questions there. We're definitely interested to hear about what you want to know about as we continue to try to provide off-grid solutions for an on-grid world. Thanks for joining me. Look forward to talking to you again soon.